We turn our attention again as we started this morning to Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs 5, we will be reading verses 15 through the end of the chapter, found on page 673. And that's in connection to Lord's Day 41 and the Seventh Commandment. Lord's Day 41 can be found on page 248 in your Forms and Prayers book. Before we read from God's Word, let's ask His blessing in prayer. Lord God, we come before you as the children of Proverbs, as, as very truly the sons, the daughters who come before you, the Father, and, and ask you to instruct us and to fill us with your wisdom. And we know that as amazing wisdom is, wisdom is, is not just an intellect, but a, truly the Spirit of Christ and, and life in you. And we pray, Lord, that we would find that, that we'd find knowledge, we would find obedience, we would find love here, we would find the better way and the better path. We ask this in your name. Amen. To put it before us again, we'll read from Lord's Day 41. What is God's will for us in the seventh commandment? That God condemns all unchastity, and that we should therefore detest it wholeheartedly and live decent and chaste lives within or outside of the the holy state of marriage. Does God in this commandment forbid only such scandalous sins as adultery? We are temples of the Holy Spirit, body and soul, and God God wants both to be kept clean and holy. That is why God forbids all unchaste actions, looks, talk, thoughts, or desires, and whatever may incite someone to them. Having read the first half of Proverbs 5 this morning, we pick up on verse 15. We saw the warnings and the fruit of what following and going after lady lust bring. Now we see God's answer through the father of Proverbs, beginning in verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets... Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. Sends the reading of God's word. People of God, as we continue with our treatment of the seventh commandment, that thou shalt not commit adultery, we, as said already, saw the dangers of it, saw where it leads, how destructive it is, how it will lead to death itself. But there is an answer that God provides. God provides it in his word, where we should turn. This is God's way of wisdom and what the father is instructing his child to know. And what is that? What is the way of wisdom in response to the desires of the flesh? 
to the desires that, that we have within us? Is there an appropriate answer in God's way? Is certainly, and it's the way of marital bliss. The way of marital bliss. We see that in verses 15 to 20. We see that God clearly is in favor of these things. After all, he did create them. He created them good and wondrous. He created them to be used and utilized and to be enjoyed in the bounds of marriage. This is God's way. We have to be clear of that fact that God in no way diminishes the goodness of what is intimacy in marriage. He always praises it and never diminishes that. But often, in families and in churches, we diminish it in some ways by simply ignoring it. We can ignore what the beauty is. We may not put before, either in our actions, in our speech, or even in our ideas, how blessed the institution of marriage actually is. As we began this morning, there's a war going on. There's a war between the church and the world, and and the world has their ammunition, and the world comes at us with lady lust. It comes at us with the desires of the flesh. It, It seems so alluring. Well, what's the answer? How do we respond? And the response of the Father of Proverbs is to say how much better marriage is. How much better a way that is than it is to following lusts in all ways God has outlawed in his word. Well, some of that then, some of that burden falls on us to know and also portray in our own marriages how much better it actually is. So that someone would, would in essence see why would you go after sinful lust when there's this, this option? This thing that's, that's so much better that, that God extends out to his people. There are two extremes in facing this. Many of our circles, many of our families, we don't discuss it, we don't discuss sex. Many will leave it to schools or worse, to peers, which is not the biblical model of a responsible parent. And many in churches ignore it altogether, which is why we're spending these two messages on it. Because it's not... It's, it's something so relevant today, but it's not something we tend to deal with often. It does, as we saw, make us uncomfortable. It makes us squirm. It's a temptation and a battle the majority of those in the church do face in one degree or another, and it's also one of the chief means the devil uses to thwart the work of God's people. And as well, left untended, left unconfessed, as Paul will say, no adulterer, no sinner, no, no one who's gripped by these sins can, can reach the kingdom of God if it's, it's, if it's this lifestyle and just is seen as acceptable and right. And so it has to be dealt with. And so there's the extreme of, of not dealing with it at all, but there's the other extreme of over-dealing with it in two graphic ways, in ways that seems like every message then would become another call about it. And we want to avoid either of those extremes, but recognize the need and talk about it frankly and talk about it truly. Part of the way then to combat that cultural decline is what the way of the text is. The text here extols the glory of marriage in very clear and descriptive ways. It explains it and compares it to the foolishness of lust and any, any avenue outside of what God has commanded. You hear, this is what we're battling. You see what we're battling. The sinful world cleverly, artistically, tries to present before us ways that would trip us up in lust. The over-sexualization of the culture has had major effects on how we, how we see these things, how we, and especially on women, dress. You see that. God's word here, you see it in the text, speaks of women as beautiful. 
And women, that is how God created you to be. You are a beautiful race. That's what he's done. That's what Adam saw. That was the helper to Adam was one of beauty. And that's not to be diminished. That's to be extolled. That's to be understood. But there is a difference between, between being beautiful, between being pretty, and also being seductive, being a tempting woman, being tempting with how you dress. Modesty is a part of it. You see, it all goes together. That, that's how broad this commandment is. It, it should function on, on, the, on the clothes we make, the decisions we make for how we will dress. And that thought should go through our minds. How will this affect others who see me? Because what will the world say? The world will say, use what you have. Dress the way you want. Flaunt yourself. And what's expected is that you can do that without having anyone look at you in an incorrect way. And, and then that's on them. That you dress the way you want, and if they leer at you, that's their fault. God condemns both. The leering look, the lustful look, that's condemned. But so is a thoughtless way in which you would present yourself. Is there, is there a mind of how I would dress? A mind how I would act in front of others. Ephesians 3 says that sexual morality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Part of applying the seventh commandment will be both men and women seeking to dress modestly. And that applies to every situation. That applies, guess what, to the pools and the beaches too. It applies everywhere. Do we think of that? Do we... Do we honor this commandment even in that way. You see, it's not all just, well, I can't, I can't go to this bad site. I can't read this bad thing. No, it also is, how do you dress? How do you act? God made marriage to be attractive. God made marriage to be desirable. God made man and woman to be attracted to each other. All of that is good. But sin, our temptations, our flesh, the devil has hijacked the system wants to make it something that would trip the people of God up. Actually, God would have us regularly and wonderfully enjoying intimacy in marriage. That it would be quite a part of the marital relation. And it's good for even families then to be raised in this way. And as much as we would know all children would disagree with this, it is appropriate and good for them in some ways to see good affection among their parents. They might not admit that, but to be raised in such a way where what's, what's put on display before them seems so much better to the alternative. That's part of it. That we would treat marriage in that way. We would raise kids to understand that. Look at 1 Corinthians 7, verses 1 to 5. 1 Corinthians 7, 1 to 5 says... Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband, for the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. God's answer to the strong desires of the flesh, the strong desires that he's put before man, is in marriage. And that's the whole point. It is to be wonderfully expressed there. Look at the words of the text. 
to be intoxicated with your spouse. Can't really get more descriptive than that. Right? That's how good it is. That's how beautiful it is. And guess what? God's way is better than the world's because what does it come with? What does the intoxication of that love and intimacy in a marriage bring? Lust brings guilt and shame. It does not bring fulfillment. Marital intimacy is meant to bring fulfillment and peace and health and a close walk with your spouse and thanksgiving to God. All these blessings that come from, come from it and flow from it naturally, which comes in no way from the world's answer and brings only with it judgment, brings with it death. But marriage doesn't have that. God's answer is to put before us how beautiful it is. Also, you see the beauty in marriage in that husbands and wives do their part in the relationship to show how much they do love each other, to show how much they care for each other. The, the way our world has treated this commandment has, has put so much stress on everyone. Just look at, look at women and wives. What the world puts forward as the image of a woman is fake. It isn't real. They, they handpick the most beautiful women that can be found. And then hire professionals, professionals in makeup and photography in every which way to try to, to create some perfect video or snapshot or thing in such a way to show that this is what beauty is, but it's not. Creates so much so much pain on, on women, so much self-consciousness. Men have it too, but they're in a lesser degree. And, that, and that's what happens. That, that's what pursuing lady lust does. It's all a fabrication. It's not real. That's what's presented. And, and young people know that truth, that, that what, what the world would present to you is a lie. No one lives up to that. Even the models that they hire to, to live up to that aren't that. But look at the answer in the text. The husband loves his wife and is told by God to fully enjoy her and she him. What a blessing. What a good God we have that that, that is what he would have for his people. The institution of marriage is wonderful. It's beautiful. There are those aspects that we have to, to extol. And, and as, a, as a word of correction, if your marriage is lacking in this way, it, it needs to be worked on. God would have, as we talked about this morning, we talked about in a negative way the fire of lust. But in a positive way, God would have that fire stoked and raging well in a marriage. And it's a responsibility of husband and wife to devote themselves to that, to be those who, who show that care and concern, that's God's will. Look at 5.15. The father is teaching his son, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Now, many scholars believe this language is quite suggestive, perhaps even innuendos, that the father is telling to his son and telling him to be fully satisfied with his wife. That's what he's teaching. That's what he's instructing. Don't, don't let your eyes gaze away from, from your wife, my son. See her beauty. And you know what? Again, we do for, for many different reasons, for what I already said, what the culture puts before us, for our own sinful nature, is husbands and wives can just think, you know what? I wish my husband or my wife was like this. 
if only they were better in this regard, if only they looked this way, if only they behaved that way, and, and we try to think that there's a better alternative, and what the wise answer is, is God has given you a spouse and tells you to enjoy them. And that's what a godly marriage does. That's what the Father of Proverbs is saying. If this is your desire, because Paul will say that this is not for all, singleness is a certainly a good option as well for those who are gifted and called to it, but for those who desire it, for those who struggle with the sin, seek marriage. And if you are married, seek it where it belongs. Find the beauty in your spouse. Now, as for this, this language, drinking water from your own cistern, what does it mean? Some, some think it's, it's, it's sort of strange. If you follow the, the illustration, it almost seems like the outcome of the son's adultery would be that his own wife would now become an adulteress. There's a lot of different ideas of, of what this is saying. I like the way one commentary explained it. It says, the rhetorical question in verse 16 draws a contrast between the son's wife and the adulteress who seeks many illicit relationships the son should attach his affections to his wife instead of seeking to make the adulteress his spring. The adulteress will always stray. She is found in the streets and is never the partner of only one man. By going to an adulteress, the son is drinking from water from another cistern or spring, and he makes the woman his illicit streams. However, these streams flow in public, so others can drink them too. The adulteress will not remain faithful to the adulterous husband, but instead will stray and have liaisons with others. But marriage gives personal, precious water, all the more meaningful in that arid environment. The son must remain faithful to his wife and not drink from public streams from which strangers imbibe. In Palestine, where water is a scarce and valuable commodity, to have one's own source of water is a great blessing. The metaphor of the wife as a private cistern and source of running water depicts her as a great blessing to her husband. That's, that's, that's what it is. Think of that arid environment where water is life. You need water, and, and God has given you your own well, your own cistern, and then says, drink and be filled and be satisfied. That's what marriage is to a husband and wife. And there's no, there's no judgment there. There's no shame there. There's no guilt there. Marriage is the way. Young people, marriage is the way. That's what Proverbs 5 is saying. That's what God is saying. He has given and created a wonderful institution that he would have you be intoxicated with, filled up with pleasure. That's the blessing of God. Look at verse 18. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always with her in her love. This is probably the most explicit text anywhere outside of Song of Solomon that shows that great truth and the blessing and, and depicts it in these words to show you that without any confusion that this is what God would have. This is the way of God. This is the way of beauty, the way of marriage. But I want to address something else here, too, and, and that's two groups of people. First is those who are single. And the natural reaction is to hear this and say, yes, yeah, so God's answer to lust is marriage. But I can't find that. 
or I'm not there yet, I'm too young, or, or I've been looking and there's no one. That is a very heavy burden to bear. It's, it's, it's not one that is, is, is a simple thing. It's not one that is just pushed aside. And, and it's not one that is meant to be discarded. It truly is a heavy burden. So God does give that answer. God gives it in marriage. But what about to those who are struggling with that? Well, in a day and age where we have the capacity to talk to more and more people than ever, we're more and more connected than ever, it seems, and I think this is true, this is one of the hardest times ever for people to find one another. Some of that is because of the addiction to lust that's so rampant in our cultures because there's so many outlets, there's so many ways in which to pursue it. And so there's, there, there is, there, there, the world's going crazy and going after these things and marriage is left to the side. That's again why we need to extol how marriage is better than that, that that isn't the answer, that there is no fulfillment there. But that's part of it. Part of it is that reason. Some of it's just the plain immaturity of the population. Marriage gets pushed off. The age of maturity gets pushed off. You don't need that. You have so many people living together who are not married, and, and, and it just doesn't seem to be a concern. It's immaturity. It's sin. A lot of it is that we've removed ourselves from in-person communities, taken up a life of social media, and a life that makes having fellowship with real people actually far harder. There's many reasons that contribute to it. It's hard, and there's no mistaking it, but... Don't convince yourself that you are given a free pass to break God's law because you haven't been given that. What it means is you've been given a cross to bear. You've been given a hardship and a struggle. And that's not unique to you to have a cross, even if the single one is your unique cross to bear. All men, all women have to suffer, have to, have to live before God and, and, and obey him and are called to refrain from certain things, are called not to be able to do what they would like to do. Pray and seek for marriage, absolutely, but it doesn't allow you to either in frustration or to try to convince yourself and to say, God hasn't given it to me so I can pursue other ways. That's not the answer. But there is fulfillment. See, what we have to see is that as, as wonderful as marriage is, and we're in a text that explains that, as, as wonderful as marriage is, it isn't the answer to life. And you're not missing out on the best that life has to offer. The best that life has to offer is life in Jesus Christ. And he is your fulfillment. And you know what? That's actually the answer to married couples too. It's the answer for, for everyone. Make no mistake about it. Marriage is a profound blessing, but it doesn't, it doesn't take away temptations, the amount of divorces and adulteries, the, the level of addiction to pornography, all these things show that. It doesn't, doesn't remove that as great as marriage is. The answer for all Christians, the singles, the married, the same-sex attracted, the answer is in Christ and fulfillment there. And I would say it this way, as, as, as much of a blessing marriage is as a single person, even as you would seek to, to, to find marriage, and that's a worthy pursuit, you are given a great opportunity in your singleness to fill yourself with Christ. 
in some ways that, uh, that married couples don't have as easy a time to do because it's taken up with each other. And that's not to say certainly that you can't have both. Obviously, we, we are th- those who are married seek God and, have, and should have a close walk with him. But as a single person, I'm encouraging you that you have that opportunity to find in your struggle that the, the true and best answer is always Christ. And, and because the burden is there, it continues to place you in that relationship with him so that you can fully experience and enjoy him. And so as you seek marriage, understand that. Seek that. Second, second group I want to address and those who might struggle is the same-sex attracted. That happens all over the world. It happens in our churches. And, and what, what, to, what about to those? What about to you who face that? and face that attraction. That's hard, and it's a struggle. And it's the same answer that was previously given as well, that that doesn't mean that you have a free pass. It doesn't mean that the definitions of what true marriage is change. It is one man. It is one woman. It is to marry in the fear of the Lord. That is what the definition of marriage is, and it does not change. But if you face such a trial, you're likely facing the burden and thinking, now in in the entirety of this life, I will never be able to fulfill that desire. Yes, that's certainly hard. But God is not cruel in calling that, to, to call his people to put aside these things, to bear crosses for him. The other thing to know is that in your struggle with that particular temptation, you are no more broken than anyone else's because you may have that wrong desire. And what, what do I mean by that? Certainly the desire is wrong. All, all lust is wrong. But if you are in Christ, you are as spotless and clean as he is. That's what we believe. And don't identify with that. Don't identify with the absence of what you would like and can't have. Identify with your Savior. And again, we're just drawing ourselves to the same point. That's, that's no different than the single or the married Christian either. Ultimately, it always goes back to Christ. And always fulfillment in Him. Don't bind to the lie that God doesn't have that standard of marriage. He does. But we all must live dying to self in service to God And don't feel trapped, because you're not missing out on the best thing of life. Christ is truly the best of life. Christ is the way, is the only answer. We as the church, we need to to be mindful of this. We need to be better in how we treat those who are single, for for whatever reason. We we sort of live at times acting as if marriage is the right way, and the good way, and the the fixed way, and then there's this broken way, and that you've got to find someone. Well, that's not the case. It's not true. We need to be open and honest. We need to be mindful of that, not to, to treat them as less than, not to treat them that they're lacking yet, to include and to think of their situations, and that we would be there for them, to provide fellowship with them in a way that, for whatever reason, God has ordained that they would not have, but can be filled by the church and in love to them. Think of it this way. For all of us, whether married or single for any reason, there is marital bliss you you can enjoy right now that is far, far greater than even what the institution of marriage can offer. The institution of marriage is a temporary 
good institution that will fall away, and it was always meant to depict the greater and better reality of the love of God to his people, of Christ to his church, and guess what? You have that. They go together. Marriage between husband and wife is wonderful, but only as as a model of depicting what is far, far greater fulfillment in God himself. That's what marriage shows. And, and now we're not, what we're not doing is just now allegorizing the text. The text is very clearly talking about a husband and a wife and marriage and the blessings there. But we are showing the, the next step we should take. What does marriage point to? Ephesians 5 tells us very clearly to Christ in the church. It's that mystery. It says in Ephesians 5.31, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. This being the case, marriage, its union, its pleasures, is meant to depict a greater, a deeper reality that you are not lacking, whether you're married, same-sex attracted, or single, or in a marriage that has difficulty. Christ is always that answer. So God's answer is the marital bliss, and and that's how I would want us to apply it. It's the marital bliss. Seek it tangibly in a spouse if that is your desire. Seek it there and you can find it. Pray to God for it. But even if you cannot, you still have an answer in Christ. He is the ultimate answer. And we move to the last portion of the text, and more briefly, the all-seeing eye of God. So let's follow the thought, the argument that's been going on, even as we began this morning. The father of Proverbs has sought to instruct his son, and he's told him, following the way of Lady Lust will lead to death. He's told him of the dangers, the temptation, the allurements there, but what's behind it is death and, and, and no pleasure, no fulfillment. He also showed the fruit of it. The fruit of it is to be brought to your end, to be brought to that place and precipice of destruction. And then he showed a better way. It's the way of marriage. But now, in verse 21, he shows the theological answer. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. You see, that's the answer. Even for those who are single, even for those who are same-sex attracted, even for those who are married, that is the answer. Why obey Why are we on the way of wisdom? Why do we keep ourselves from lady lust? Why is it wrong for us to go down that path? We've gone through many reasons, but here's the fundamental one. Your life is is lived before the all-seeing eyes of God. We think these types of things are done in private. Adultery doesn't occur out in the open. It's kept hidden. Lustful sins are behind closed doors. These things we think no one sees, but God does. God's aware Catechism says we are temples of the Holy Spirit, body and soul, and God wants both to be kept clean and holy. We live before the face of God. That is why God forbids all unchaste actions, looks, talks, thoughts, or desires, and whatever may incite someone to them. There, I want to apply it this way. I, this is more of a warning. The, uh, the eyes of God see it, and it's more of a warning then to keep from it. But, I, but there is also a comfort there. That God sees it? You see, it's, it, it's the same kind of, of thing, this, this dual, I better be careful because my dad's watching, and that we do our best when our dad's watching. That we want to please him. 
So it, it isn't just, ah, shucks. God can see, so I bet, better not. You see, no, it's God sees, so I would never. I want to bring my own desires in line with God because he sees it all. And how could I bring shame on him? How could I bring such disgrace to him and, and to the true bridegroom, Christ? He's covenanted with me, with us, the, the church. Routinely in the Old Testament, God, God mirrors and depicts the sins of his people in this relationship as him as the bridegroom wronged and cheated against by his spouse, the church, the people of God. Always depicts it that way. And, and then our answer is, is, if the true bridegroom can see us, and he is so good and so faithful and so loving, how could we pursue it? How could we even entertain the, the, the journey and the little decisions that would bring us to that path? fact of the matter is whatever we were doing behind closed doors is actually done out in the open throne room of God himself. It is not hidden. We're kidding ourselves to think that it is. And what's even worse is often we do it knowing that God is right there. And that's why we need to really focus on our walk with him and our love for him. Because that's, that's what overcomes it. That's what overcomes Lust and sin. We care about this. We care more about what God's eyes see than what our own might see. The one we most deeply offend when we break the seventh commandment is not even the victims that we've legitimately harmed. It's not even fundamentally the spouse wronged in adultery or the family relationship that's broken or the person we've used or sinned against in that way. They're all a part of it, but as David showed us when he fell to the seventh commandment, against you, Lord, only have I sinned. The all-seeing eyes of God that are aware of it all, and, and, and the eyes that are there and ready to help. We've chosen these hymns, purposefully so, around the messages, and they're hymns of battle and victory. Because God wins. God's there. He's there to help in his strength. Love for God, love for others, pursuing lady love, lady wisdom is the better way. Even David, when he sinned, was restored. Even as we look at this commandment, we see beauty. We see a spouse who loved his cheating bride so much that he did cleanse her and made her spotless and his eternal wife, and, and that's us now. And that's why we keep it. We see the positive side of the command. It's not just don't commit adultery. It's, it's love not only your, your real spouse here on earth, but it's to love Christ, to love as Christ loved the church, to love him. It's marital bliss. It's life before the face of God and which is greater joys and greater blessings than can be had in anything in this world, in any pursuit of lady lust. Every one of those will fail. Every one of those will be short-lived. But living for God is only pleasure. As intoxicating as God describes intimacy in marriage, can we remove some of that innuendo but take the meaning and then say it's far more intoxicating in the relationship with God himself? And that's the truth.
Pursue the way of wisdom. Pursue marital bliss with, yes, your spouse, but ultimately with God himself. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Father, we are so thankful for the blessing that it is to see marriage, not only the institution, but what it depicts in its greater measure. And I pray for all of us here, for for us, your flock, that you would be with us in our fight against sins, that you would be with us to thwart us from following Lady Lust, that we would seek you to follow you in love. I also pray for the marriages here, that our marriages would be strong, that would depict what is the great pleasure of this intimacy in all its respects and all of what it can be. So bless our marriages. I also pray for those who are young and those who are single here, who, who are not in that position. May, may they desire, if it be your will, and if it be for, for them their desire to, to find marriage, but help them to truly see what is greater. And may we even be a church that has that in place before we enter into institution of marriages in this life, that, that ultimately it is truly more important, it's most blessed to love you, our Lord, and then to love spouses through that. We ask this in your name.